Hi, and welcome to another episode of Electronic Music Man. I'm your host, James Locksmith. On today's episode, I'm speaking with one of Melbourne's busiest, hardworking powerhouses, DJ, radio presenter, and event curator, Daniel Risk, aka Miss Risk. Risk has DJed across the globe and shared the stage at festivals, club gigs, with some of the best of the best, including curation for some of the most important music and arts events in Australia, a list way too long to mention. Her weekly show on PBS radio, Boogie Beat Suite, is highly respected internationally. Her contribution to youth culture, new music, Australia's music industry, Arabic music and culture in Australia is nothing short of impressive. Ms. Risk is just getting started. On today's episode, we're discussing youth projects, Lebanese hospitality, Arabic culture and music down under. Had an absolute ball chatting with Danielle. While puffing on her shisha, I got an insight of her passion for youth culture, new music, and Lebanese Australia. Hey, tell me, it's 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 pronounced Ms. Risk. Ms. Risk, as if it's S's, you see. Like, like an S, got it, got it. Got yeah, because yeah, it's on. my actual surname. It's a very uh, Lebanese and Egyptian surname. I'm Lebanese, but the name Risk is very common from both countries. Okay. Mm. Yep, yep. So, Easy way to come up with a DJ name. Didn't have to think much, <laughs> think too much about it. <laughs> so da- Danielle Riz- Risk, is Danielle it pronounced Risk? Risk? Yeah. Danielle Risk. Uh, welcome to Electronic Music Man. Um, thank, thank you, you so for, much. For, <laughs> thanks for coming on. Um, yeah, it's been, it's been so, a, a minute that I've wanted to like finally meet with you in person. So, you know, Thanks to the internet, we can do this. <laughs> Thank you so much. So and awesome. I believe it's quite early for you in the morning, which is a good start. It's all right. It's all right. <laughs> 9.40am, we're all right. I'm normally an, an early riser anyway, so it's, this, is, this is good. And I'm a bit more, a bit more uh, sharper in the morning, so <laughs> it's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so tell me... Um, you're you're very involved with a lot of youth projects and you've got i want to i want to talk about some of the projects that you've got going on at the moment and we'll dive into this first because i think this is a good doorway into for people to sort of get an understanding of who you are and and so youth projects and you've you've recently started the musical medley uh yeah on, on yeah so let's talk a bit about that and and also your youth projects that you're that you've been involved in and you're currently working on. Sure. So we'll start with um, Miss Risk's musical medley, which is a show that is yet to be online. We're still in the middle of finishing it in production, and I think the first episode will come out next week. That project started because of COVID. You know, being in Melbourne, we had one of the strictest lockdowns, and DJing and music is my full-time job. Therefore, there wouldn't be any income coming in for me from my regular work. And I like to keep busy. And so considering all my work involves events, event management, curation, workshops, it's all hands-on and very social. None of that was happening in the past few months. And we got to a point where we were locked down where we couldn't leave the house more than five kilometres and for an urgent reason. So we were very locked in. We had a curfew at 8 p.m. 
So I applied for a grant and decided to create an online show that supports and celebrates our local talent because very luckily due to participating in youth work and youth projects over the years, I get to meet all this upcoming talent and then I put them on at gigs and then within months someone else has signed them to their label and they're flying high and for me that's fantastic. (laughs) That's the whole point. You know, you give people a starting (laughs) point, you know, they've already started but you give them a launching pad. I should say, and then that's it. They take it from there. And I guess it links in with a regular night I used to run in a loft in Melbourne called Ferdy Dirk, small venue up the stairs, but I'm very, I have a great relationship with the owners and they gave me the space to book young people and young talent just to perform. And it was mostly young women, non-binary, trans people that I would book that weren't necessarily getting the space they needed to perform at other venues. So that's how it started and that ran for almost two and a bit years and uh, it was absolutely amazing. So from then on, I guess I've always continued in working with young people and trying to find opportunities and creating space for them. So this is that's where that idea for the online show comes from, being able to engage people even though we can't physically be there, but get them to record music and practice their art And then I would, of course, put it all together in, you know, 15 or 20 minute episodes and then upload them. So that's Miss Risk's musical medley, really. Just a few interviews. I've even got some of them cooking, sharing their favorite recipes, just some content that's a little bit different. You know, some are talking about fashion. I collect sneakers, so I'm sure I will do a few segments on that. So it was just for people, I guess, hopefully what I want from this project is for the artists, of course, gain new fans, and for music lovers to find new artists to love and support. Right. So, it, so it it sounds like it's an extension to the um, the 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 purpose behind your events to do the same platform, but now you're doing it in a different different format. Absolutely. To, to bring yeah to bring awareness to new and upcoming talent. Absolutely. And I, and I, yeah, and I I read that you said that it was. Um, uh, not so local. What do you mean by that? Like the not yeah. so local means I've got a few friends. Like I've got one act, um, Mitsune, and that's a friend Yuka who used to perform in a duo with Adam as Kilbuck Kindergarten. And when we started doing gigs early 2000, around 2010, 11, 12, around that era, they used to perform at these Oz Soul Collective gigs that I was a part of. They moved to Berlin. And so when I told her about the project, so now she's doing this whole thing called Mitsune, which is um, performing with oh, the shamisen and Japanese yeah, instruments. That rings a bell. Yeah, right. Okay. This rings a bell. I don't know. It sounds so familiar. Sorry to cut you off. So when when did when did she launch this? Um, I think they've been playing around Berlin for a while, but I think they've got some yeah. stuff coming out. So they're not. Um, I don't think they've launched an album as of yet. Um, But at this point in time, they sent me a couple of performances of them in a park and it's just so beautiful wearing traditional clothing, playing traditional instruments. And then, of course, sending a cooking video of how to make okonomiyaki, which I think is absolutely great content. Everyone wants to know Mm. how to make that, you know. (laughs) (laughs) And and, uh, so so you're looking at also uh, bringing artists like this from not just not just from Melbourne or Australia, but from around the world. Absolutely. That, that, you, can, that you can bring to this show. 
Well, look, my main emphasis is because I am in Melbourne and I do have a lot of connections in Sydney and I'm aware of what's going on in Melbourne and Sydney will be mostly those artists. However, if I get a, you know, a cue that there's an upcoming act or emerging acts such as Mitsune, which is, you know, I've known Yuka for a long time, but this project is new. So for me, that was quite easy for me to decide this is an actually an excellent band or group to showcase because it's something a bit different. You know, there are so many acts, I think, James, that don't get spotlight that they deserve, you know, because Mm. this industry is so fickle. I believe that a lot of people are in the wrong job, you know, in the major Mm. labels. I think it's made up with the wrong people. I think it was made up with people like me. The music world would look really different. And so I guess that's what I'm trying to do on my end. Little old me is trying to push those acts that deserve to be heard. Like they're amazing. Why shouldn't they be everywhere? Why shouldn't people know them? Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, you know, um, power to you. Like I think these kind of projects are super important and have a massive role in uh, the development of the music industry. You know, so uh, keep doing it. And I noticed that you were involved with the Biennale this year. I, I, I didn't know they were actually going to go ahead because of COVID. So, and tell me a bit about your participation and the project that you did. I love it. It was a, a, a project on Lebanese hospitality. Um, yeah. Absolutely. So I was very lucky, I guess, to be chosen to be one of 101, I think, artists to be part of the Biennale of Sydney in 2020. I was, uh, there was only a couple of us from Melbourne, not many, most from were international. And so I was asked to do a sound work. And so I decided with my sound work, it would make a lot more sense if I gave visual cues as to for the work so that you know because I like immersive experiences I'm all about that so originally so it launched in March so leading up to March I played all the launch parties I DJed all the sites most of the sites that the Biennale had work in like the National Mm. Arts School and so those performances were great and my installation was at the National Arts School and that was going to happen every Sunday Uh, I got to launch it once before we had to go into lockdown. And so on that day, um, I created a space. The project was called Ahla o Sahla, which means welcome in Lebanese. Like when we welcome you to our home, that's what we say. Like, Ahla o Sahla, like you're welcome. We're here to, you know, Mm -hmm. not service you, but we're here with our hospitality, you know. And so there was a rug as I placed objects that I grew up with seeing in my living room. And there was music playing. So the sound work was three hours and it was a journey of music from the Middle East. And this went all the way back to the early 1900s up until contemporary music now. So we had all our favourites in there. Fedor, Zumkaldum. We heard from Ferdi's Karam. We had Asmahan, Warda. There were so many, so many artists that I managed to mix in a three-hour soundscape. And that would play and it would look like that it was playing out of a boom box that was sitting on a rug amongst a backgammon table, amongst a shisha, amongst a coffee set, you know. So it was like you've walked into a living room and you're hearing music from a radio. But I also mm-hmm. had a lot of articles and newspaper cuttings from the Civil War. So it kind wow. of shows that even though Lebanese people are constantly bombarded with 
tragedy, such as the one we experienced in August, we will still play mm. music and invite you to our home for a coffee. And 100%. that's who we are as a people. We're very, you know, we're retired, but also resilient because we have no choice. We have to be. Mm. And mm. also what happened is I think it was around September, the Biennale found a different site. So my work could no longer be at the National Art School. Things had reopened in Sydney and they moved my work to Carriage Works so people could experience that every day for over a month or so at Carriage Works. And what was month was amazing. that? That would have been August, September because it closed oh, wow, in September. Lovely. So okay, more, cool. Yeah. So, and then it had a different meaning because the tragedy happened in Lebanon at the port. Mm. So then people were seeing that work with that very fresh in their mind. And yes, yeah, the, right. Absolutely. So the most difficult mm. thing, I guess, was the fact that I couldn't be there because when I'm mm. there and the first day I was there and people saw my work, they were asking questions. What is this? Why is that here? What is this song? What does it mean to you? Why is it playing? What does it mean? I even edited, you know, Mariah Carey, uh, where my head is. Um, I even edited Madonna's song Erotica because Madonna, of course, sampled a very famous hymn sung by Fadals, which is played by Lebanese Christian households every Good Friday. And Madonna, out of all the songs she samples, like she samples that one. And <laughs> in Erotica. In Erotica, <laughs> you know, which, you know, would have caught, which caused Lebanese people to like almost have a meltdown. <laughs> Because, of course, it's sacrilegious. Like, what is this woman yeah. doing? But she, it sounded, <laughs> the producer killed it. It sounded amazing. But what a tune <laughs> to play. And, of course, Madonna got sued. Like, Fatals wasn't having yeah. it. Like, and <laughs> Fatals won that. Unlike, you know, Jay-Z. Well, I did not like, know that backstory. I did not know that backstory. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's crazy. But a lot of um, Arabic music has been sampled, especially by Timberland. Yes. He said, has sampled heaps for Aliyah and, of course, uh, yeah, for yeah. Jay-Z. He um, mm-hmm, sampled mm-hmm. Khasara, but what happened was um, Abdul Halim Hafiz, his family tried to sue Jay-Z because they weren't happy with the lyrical content, of course, and they mm. used the song. But I think Jay- Jay-Z won the, that case. Like, they either mm. paid it out or it didn't go through. I can't remember the details, but he didn't. they didn't have a fatals win, that's for sure. Mm, mm. Wow, that's uh, I I was I wasn't aware particularly about the the Madonna story, um, uh, we, uh, you know, with uh, erotica. That's that. <laughs> wow. Well, I um, I, I with with this project and so the, the the you know capturing all about Lebanese culture and do it, how did that, how did it come about though? Like when they. When how did they approached you to do this, and and where did the inspire like no the inspiration came from? Yeah, how did tell me a bit about that whole process of being approached and then coming up with this concept? Like you want how did like wanting to capture this? Yeah, like there, there tell was me a bit so about yeah there were so many ideas, James, about what I exactly what I was going to do and how I was going to do it. So Brooke Andrew, the artistic director obviously invited me to be a part of the Biennale. And, of course, Mm. I'm a DJ and an event curator and I'm not known as a contemporary artist. But Brooke was very quick to say you're actually 
a sound artist. You are a musicologist, even though you don't have the PhD. And I said, okay, mm. well, thank you for that. Uh, I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take that. <laughs> I'll take that. And then we had a number of meetings about what we were going to do. So the first idea I had, James, was collecting, what I wanted to do was collect Walkman's boom boxes and create mm. different kinds of mixtapes and have people pick up random ones and just walk around spaces listening to different soundtracks so they experience different things. Um, but that would have been very difficult to manage and maintain. If batteries run out, people can run away with a Walkman. And, you know, there's obviously, we have to think about staffing issues, access, cost, and then as we spoke more about music and who I was, I said, you know, what I've realised is Arabic music, for some odd reason, has not hit the mainstream. Now, Latin music, dance halls, music from Jamaica, music from South America, you will hear all of that in the top ten. You'll hear Sean Paul. You will hear, mm. you know, reggae. Reggae is a thing. Afro-funk is a thing. You don't hear anything about Arabic music unless you're speaking to record collectors. And mm. they're all about we're going to go and find the most rarest Arab record from a village and this and this and that. Mm. And these record collectors, bless them, they have no connection to Arabic or Lebanese or Egyptian culture other than we're record collectors and we're trying to find good music. So for me it was very important to represent my culture because representation is actually very meaningful for me and it's important that our music is represented in a respectful manner in the way it should be seen. And for me, by creating a soundscape that covered so many genres within the Arabic music within three hours, which is barely enough time, but kind of enough for people to hear the different years and the different things we have contributed to Western music, I thought was really, really important. So mm. that's why I decided to create a soundscape, especially Lebanon. The Middle East gets a lot of flack. We're all terrorists for some reason. Like, <laughs> you know, the common misconception about who Lebanese people are and who, you know, any person from that region, any Arabic-speaking nation, we get... So we're already painted in a negative light, but these people will complain about us, but eat falafel and hummus, no worries. So for me, it was so important to kind of remind people that this is not how you think we are is not who we are. Mm. This is who mm. we are. A very mm. passionate, a very hospitable, very creative people. You know, yeah. we've been around a long time and we're still here and we're pushing for it. So in recent times, I've started including more Arabic music in my sets, you know, buying more Arabic records from old uncles in the villages just because my cousin knows someone who knows someone, you know. So I think mm. that's really important. And that's kind of where I've been headed lately. Um, again, not strictly just Arabic music in my sets, but making sure that it is included and some sets mm. are completely all about that and that's why I wanted to do that for the Biennale but I also wanted to give it context other than just a mm. three-hour mixtape I'm like these people yeah. need a visual they need to come to my living room sit down have a coffee smoke shisha and listen to Fatals which we only play in the morning Fatals is for the mornings mm. that's a yeah. you know that's a rule apparently you know 
And by so many, it's like this weird rule that I've heard from so many Arab old elders, you know. Like we only play fatals in the morning. My mum even said that, you know, but I disagree. I'll play her anytime I like. I'm challenging that. <laughs> Uh, so that's, I guess, how the concept started. So it was supposed to be a musical project and it kind of developed into something a lot more meaningful for me. And I thought if it's the Biennale, I am actually going to represent who I am and my people in the kindest way possible. Lebanon's not no, perfect. It's great. Absolutely. You know? and, and such a prestigious event as well, Biennale. It's been around for, for years and, and to, you know, to, to be able to have that opportunity to do that, that's something that that's that very like strong and and passionate for for you and being able to express this is is great would you say in the last um 10 years from my experiences i've I've been abroad now and and a, a big part of leaving australia was because i was um so like immersed like when i visited beirut in 2010 for the first time and it was just it was life-changing it, it really and eight months later i packed my bag and moved over this part of the world because i s captured what you were talking about this whole new vibrant scene that was emerging and i just thought it was so fresh it reminded me of australia in the early 90s and i was just like i want to be part of this and so in these last 10 years have you noticed because i've i've on my trips returning back to australia um because i visit at least twice a year unfortunately this year i haven't been able to but um on my i've noticed a shift in uh australians accepting uh arab culture accepting foreign music yeah it's become like I've seen it a lot more receptive now. Oh yeah. Have you not have you noticed that as well being on the ground and and being Absolutely. a lot more Absolutely. Absolutely, mm. Jamie. I've got a show every week. It's called Boogie Beat Suite on PBS, which yep. is a, yep. one of the biggest community radio stations in Melbourne, but people listen to it Australia-wide. It's huge. We have a great listenership and um it's one of the most iconic radio stations. It's been around for such a long time, I think 40 years almost from memory. It could be wrong. We should Google that. We should fact check that, but a long time. And for the first time this year, I decided to do a whole entire two-hour show on Arabic music. Now, we can get SMSs in, so people listening will write in their points of view. And for me, I'm like, oh, it's a bit risky because people know my show to be, you know, disco boogie, hip-hop house, neo-soul, you know, future jazz, contemporary jazz, old-school jazz. Like, I go everywhere. I don't have one yeah. genre, but mm. I've never – played Arabic music regularly enough for that to be a part of the show. So it was quite unexpected, but I said, no, I'm not coming off the Biennale. This music is amazing. And each song has a story. You know, there's a reason why I'm going to play these songs. And I got the most positive feedback and it made me, I felt a sense of relief, you know, and I did it. I felt like, Great. My listeners weren't entirely alienated. Some may have switched off, and that's fine. But the majority of the comments were really positive. And so that showed to me that things are changing. People are more receptive to hearing different music. People that love music are open to listening to different sounds. You know, I'm sure 
it's not in pop music or whatever, and that's fine. That's not our world, James. We don't live among those mm. circles, you know. Mm-hmm. But in the world <laughs> of music obsessives and people that like dancing and clubbing and partying, um, it is becoming widely accepted. And I think it's got a lot to do with record collectors, vinyl people that buy records and play vinyl. I think that's helped in a way for people to be more open because now you have a lot of people who fly to Ethiopia or you know, go to different countries in Africa or the Middle East and they buy records and they're either re-releasing them or, you know, doing represses or all of this music now because it's becoming pressed on vinyl. I think that's helped definitely. Made, made it more accessible. Yeah. Made it absolutely way more accessible. And mm. then now you've got like people are repressing Fatal's records that haven't been pressed, mm. you know, mm. like an album from 1984 which is absolutely amazing, you know. So I'm grateful for that, you know. But I want people to play the records on knowing what they're playing, you know, not just because, oh, this was released, you know, there's only two copies of this and it cost me $4,000, you know. What has the price, music is priceless. I don't care what you paid. Why are you playing this? Do you know what you, you know, do you understand the history of its people, you know. You can't play Fatals and then, you know, not understand where it's kind of from. And I guess that's been where I have, that's where I've been my entire career. I play a lot of hip-hop, you know, but there was no way I was going to play hip-hop without knowing and understanding where it came from, how it came to be, and without creating space. You know, that stuff is really, I think, really, really important. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, I, 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 I'm sure you're aware of uh, Habibi Funk as well, right? You, yeah, you, yeah, you, yeah. From, yeah, with with Giannis. I think Giannis is one of these guys who I find um, has done a, a, like a service for it. You know, like, absolutely. Because, yeah, he 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 not only re-releases this music and brings it out, but he's also telling people the story in the background and he's very very like passionate about doing that like he wants to bring awareness to and he he, he finds the uh, the original artist make sure that they get their dues exactly you know, like, I just i love the whole project i think exactly that, yeah 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 i've been now, um, I, yeah, yeah i've just me. been saying habibi funk for me is you know Really, it was really refreshing for me to see that label begin and to see where it's going, how it's headed, and how it keeps going. You know, that's really, really important. I think Giannis has opened a lot of doors for people like myself to feel more comfortable about where we're from, who we are, and how we play the music and when we play it. So I'm really mm. grateful for that. I think that's fantastic, mm. you know. Yeah. I, I, and, but the thing, you know, the one observation that I've picked up as well, though, like I found, I felt that Melbourne, as opposed to Sydney, has been a lot more receptive to this, this kind of music approach. You know, like I've felt that, um, because, and even the, the term world music, I just, you know, it, it makes me cringe. But, you know, in the last 20 years, you know, there, I felt, Sydney, for example, there was a lot. You could go out and hear African bands, local African bands. You could hear, uh, you know, bands from all over. And that dropped off. But I felt that Melbourne hasn't. 
Like I feel like Melbourne's kind of like still kind of waving the flag for, um, you know, music from from abroad. Sure. And, and why why do you think that is? Why do you think that is? Because we are the music capital of the world here in little old Melbourne. That's why <laughs> we didn't have a lockdown that Represent. shut all the clubs and. Sydney, really, I feel for Sydney. It's such a beautiful city. Some of my closest friends and family are from there. The biggest Lebanese communities in Sydney. Like, mm. I have so much respect and love for that city. I could never live there because I don't like the one-way streets and it's too much traffic and everything's way too far <laughs> from each other. You know, I'm a, definitely a Melbourne girl through and through. But I think what screwed Sydney was, of course, the lockdown many years ago. And I think slowly but surely people have become complacent about where they want to go and what they want to see. Whereas in Melbourne, you could go out on a Tuesday and we'll be up till four in the morning watching bands jam out. Like, this is what we do here. When when Melbourne's open, we're open. Like, there's, you know, no. when I finish DJing, I don't go home. I go get something to eat and go to the bar next door because my friends are DJing from 3 to 6 a.m. And I'll go, and if I'm tired, I'll have one drink and leave. But... I still go. There's still options mm. for us to go and see bands, mm, I miss that. performances, and, mm. and that's what I love. There's, you know, and you know where to go. If you're part of this beautiful musical scene in Melbourne, you'll know where to go depending on the genres. Mm. And there's something for everyone, yeah. the rockers, the punks, the ravers, the hip hoppers. Like there's mm. always mm. something happening for someone somewhere. Well, there's certainly something in the water in Melbourne at the moment because the music that's coming out from Melbourne is just blowing me away. The jazz scene is just like, and the, and the house, like the last five, six years, the house music that's been coming out of, uh, is just so lovely, like really beautiful house music and jazz. Uh, so just, and this new emerging, young, vibrant scene that's happening, not just in Melbourne, but in like even on the on the east coast, like from Brisbane down to Melbourne, there's this like it reminds me of the early nineties of like new jazz and uh like acid jazz. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. The same, you know, it's this the same like scene that it totally I totally connect with it. And it's and it's these and it's young kids under twenty-five. Like it's like, what? It's killing it's so good. It's so amazing. And, well, uh, yeah. Mm. I think that's the beauty of um, having technology that's accessible. You know, mm. these days you can bang a beat on a garage band and it's not too bad, but you've got young people now that are buying records, that are sampling, that are looking at how things used to be. And, of course, you know, the most popular music for young people for this minute, other than electronic music, is, of course, drill and trap. But the quality that's coming out at the moment is really, really fantastic, especially in terms of jazz and electronic music in Melbourne. But that's because, you know, people are just doing it, you know. They're just doing their own thing. They're playing the music. They're finding gigs. They're playing at nights on a Tuesday, Wednesday, and they're doing that for months and months until they get picked up. They're getting played on radio. So I think the music machine in Melbourne is very well oiled, you know, and I think that's, what we have on top of most other cities is that people are very proactive here. And if, you know, with our little industry, whether it's radio presenters, curators, as well as of course the players. So yeah, it's very exciting times in the past few years. We've been really, really lucky. Mm -hmm. 
Now, I um, I want to talk about your work ethic. Um, I like I was so impressed by the accomplishments and the long list of uh, accolades here from from festivals to support acts. To, there's it's just amazing, and I also I find that like your digital footprint and everything like the way you've tracked your um, your your experiences and your projects is so well like articulated and and it just like I just think your work ethic and the the, the way you've got your story online it's just amazing I, I want to know a bit about that like your your self-management and like where does that come from um, and and yeah, yeah, you you seem like to be so well organized. I'd love to learn a bit about that. <laughs> oh, um, I really, really appreciate you noticing because, as a human being, there's just a lot of self doubt. So, I'm definitely someone that I know I work hard, but I don't believe people are noticing, and I don't believe I am where I want to be yet in my career, and. That's something that, I, you know, it's it's a frustrating way to be. So I really appreciate you noticing. So thank you so much for that. And I think it comes down from the fact that when I started my career in the early 2000s, there weren't many women that were DJing. And I was going to these raves, going to all these techno parties. When I first learned how to DJ, it was just a small workshop with Willie Tell, who had, you know, wet music as a label with Simon Digby, and those parties were absolutely epic, but all my favorite DJs were men. And in the workshop, it was me and three boys. And I remember being in that workshop and they were all talking about techno. And I'm like, oh, well, where would I find techno? And they said, oh, in the techno section. And they were kind of making fun of me. And I was just like, well, I just started DJing. So the questions I ask may be silly, but I just want the answers. I don't need to be made fun of. And I think that moment kind of made me go, you know what? I'm not going to have anyone laughing at me anymore. Like, that's it. Like, <laughs> that's, I'm going to know everything and I am going to do everything and I'm going to manage myself and just, you know, with integrity. So it's got a lot to do with my values and my integrity in the, in, I say that because, I think it is really important to do what you love without having to please other people. You know, when you hear people that just do you, yeah, I'm just going to do me. You can love me, you can hate me, it doesn't matter. Your opinion is not my business. My business is how I work. So when it comes to my work ethic, I have been self-managed. Um, just recently I've started working with an agent who has, you know, scored me a few amazing gigs as well. But in terms of playing like Glastonbury and in terms of playing Radio Beirut or Soul in the Horn, that's all me. That's all networking and not even networking. That's just me have forming friendships with people and not being afraid to ask, hey, can I play a gig? And, you know, when it comes to DJing, I think what helps is the music knowledge, you know. Technically, we can always be better. There's so much to learn, but I think if you get the music on point, that really helps. There's no point in, you know, just playing the same old music all the time. That gets a bit boring. Um, 
So I guess my work ethic and self-management comes down to the fact that if I don't do it, no one's going to do it for me. And the industry is tough, James. Like, I'm not a skinny, pretty woman. That won't get me gigs. You know, that's not going to be my selling point at all. Not to say Mm. that skinny, pretty women just get gigs because they're skinny and pretty. Sure, there is some of that. Yes. We live in a male-dominated world, you know. Mm. But, you know, I was asked recently a question. I had a job interview and I was asked recently questions about this. And one thing that I did say is as women or non-binary or trans, people that aren't white, cis, male, in this industry, James, we have to be good. We can't pretend to be good. Not only do we have to be good, but we have to be amazing. And not only do we have to be amazing, we have to be amazing with knowledge because it is a lot harder for us to gain the success that we want or need. If They'll call you out if you're a fraud, but they can't call you out if you know everything and you're doing things right. Yeah. So yeah. that's... I love that. That's been, I think, the impetus for me to keep going and to keep doing things and to keep creating new projects. So I guess that's where my work ethic is. It's just, there are still so many things I want to do. I'm not even where I want to be in my career, like not even halfway there. You know, people will look at my accolades in Australia. They don't care. Mm. They don't care Mm. about what I've done, who I've like, if that was the case, I should be an international DJ by now playing at all mm. the biggest clubs and the biggest festivals. If if you just look at who, I, who I've worked with, what I've done, it's not how it works. You know, mm. <laughs> for a lot of us, it's not how it works, James. We're still mm. kicking it, you know, fighting for <laughs> a gig at a bar. Like, and I wish it, I wish it wasn't like that, but I don't run the scene. Nepotism mm. runs the scene. Money runs the scene. Who you know runs the scene. And not only who you know, do they like you? Do they invite you to kick-ons? Is that where you're at? I don't go to kick-ons. I don't party Mm. with promoters. I go Mm. in, I play the music, I make people dance, and I bounce out and get a snack. Mm -hmm. You know, that's (laughs) it. That's that's what I do. And I think this industry is so built on the other things that the most important things get forgotten, such as are they actually good DJs? Is the music mm-hmm. actually good? You could throw yeah. me anywhere and I'll play a killer set just by noticing who's in the room. If the mu- song, they're not vibing, in 20 seconds, I will quick mix it into a completely different genre and I'll keep doing that until the floor is full and people are living their best lives because I have <laughs> the music, I have the genres, and I have the ability to be able to chop and change and understand how the music moves. And I think that's right. what's important as well. So that's yeah unfortunately that's where i'm at so thank you for noticing yes I'm <laughs> <laughs> well no that was that was um you, you you touched on so many amazing things there um i loved it how, how do you deal with doubt self-doubt creeping in like because to me you you sound like like you are a, a, quite the opposite to what you were just saying like you pretty much like know how to deal with self-doubt you know how to like you've got this this work ethic that's ex like bringing excellence forward so are are these the are these your strategies well i'm not sure if they're strategies but the self-doubt comes in because every time 
I think about gigs I should have, I don't have. And, you know, mm. I'll notice things like DJs that have just been playing for literally three months or a year, and they're already on these massive festival lineups. And I just slightly wonder how or why haven't I been called or messaged or what is it that I need to do to get there? And I can never come up with the answers for that, James. Like, mm. I still don't know why. But that's where the self-doubt creeps in because yeah. this scene that's, is... That's understandable. That's understandable, yeah. You know, so that's where the self-doubt comes in, my confusion as to why certain things happen. Now, I'm not the best DJ. And, you know, I am one of those... I do have a lot of humility and I do... I don't walk or I don't have ego and I don't judge people about whether they're playing CDJs or vinyl or digital controller. I don't care. I don't care how mm. you play the music. But if you understand the music and you can play a really good set and you can engage with your audience, to me that's a win, especially when it mm. comes to DJing, you know. So I'm quite confident. I'm very sure of myself. But every now and again, I'm always, every now and again, something will happen. Festivals will come by and I'll realize, wait, why haven't I, I'm perfect for that. There is no one that does these things, but then they've gone and, you know, booked a lineup that's just, you know, very different to what their event is supposed to be or whatever it is. And I guess that's where the self-doubt comes through, you know. So, so how do you overcome that? How do you overcome that? You can't overcome that. What am I going to do? I can't force myself on these lineups. I just keep going. I just keep. No, but like the, the, the overcoming of that self-doubt because you know you've got to keep moving. So what what is it that helps you switch and go, you know what? That is a fact. These things are real. Yeah. But so what do you say to yourself to to pursue to to, to move forward? Or I or what actions or or behavior or whatever things that you do? Well to kind of like oh, yeah. To overcome forward. that, the idea is well, if I stop, then I won't get any opportunities, will I? So you kind of mm. have to keep going in the hope that I will eventually get them. I still have hope. I still have this right. little glimmer of hope that in my future I will be playing it at Ibiza one day at Glitterbox with Horsemeat yeah. Disco, <laughs> with John Morales, with Con, with these people that I absolutely respect and admire. You know, I've played absolutely. gigs with some of them. I've interviewed them. We all have the same ideology about music. We all come yeah. from a place of being completely obsessed with particular mm. sounds like you know i'm not so different from these amazing djs you know a lot of us mm. in melbourne mm. aren't so different from these amazing no, no, djs no. Yeah, yeah, but there's yeah. a whole bunch of us that totally should be on those lineups that should be at those festivals and we're not but what are we going to mm. do just hang up the headphones and then what the whole scene will be mm. run by mediocrity i will not allow mm. for that I, if I stop, then the world stops, you know, in yeah. a sense where yeah. other women, I work with young people, I work with youth. If Mistress hangs up the headphones, then what's the point in them? If Dan can't do it, then why should we try? So I'm going to yeah. do this until the very end. Like, I'm going to be 70 playing parties. I don't care if it's <laughs> in a, you know, 30 capacity <laughs> bar. I don't care. Like. <laughs> this is what I love doing. But that's the way that I overcome my self-doubt, even though it can be a bit frustrating if the idea of stopping 
is not is absolutely not something that I will ever ever take on. I, I just won't because I would rather have tried than not have tried at all. I guess. Okay, I love it. I, I, this is um, amazing. Um, well, thank you so much. Uh, why don't you tell the listeners where they can find you online? and uh, to, to, to keep up to date with your adventures? Well, I have a website, MissRisks.com, which I manage myself. And, um, you know, mm-hmm. I want to change the colors and things, but that's so time-consuming. I'll eventually get there. But that I actually really has... quite like it. I really like the, the branding. I, I think it's really super cool. You like the color? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But then I wonder, <laughs> should I keep it that way or update it to something a bit more monochrome? I don't know. Um, <laughs> I don't have the designer mind, I guess. But I have a website, Instagram, Miss Risk, which you'll find usually um, yep. I'll post in my stories or in the feed of where I'm playing or what I'm doing next. But website, SoundCloud, MixCloud, and um yeah. you know the usual places you'll find djs and music lovers lurking i guess awesome and your and your shows on tuesdays uh on pbs correct in uh, yeah you and can stream can people, that can, pe- you people can stream that and they can um is there is there also on 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 demand is there an archive absolutely of there is yeah on the on the, P- on the pbs website yeah pbsfm.org.au if you click on the program grid and click on boogie beat suite um you'll find my show and you can click back to different episodes and there are a few good pretty killer episodes and interviews i've done there's some interviews there with native dancer horse meat disco phony people i've had such an amazing array of artists come onto the show and every show is a journey not every show every week does not sound the same that's what i love about the show excellent well, thank you so much, Danielle. This was such an, a pleasure to, to chat with you. So so much great information here. Uh, and I think uh, as as your, like your projects, I think this is going to inspire a lot of people as well. So I really, hope so. Really thank you, <laughs> <I> hope so. <laughs> thank you, thank so, you much, so much, James. No, thank you for the opportunity. It's, um, it means a lot to me, especially coming out of uh, lockdown and pandemic where our work at the moment is really minimal it, it really means a lot to me that you've taken the time out and considered me to be someone important enough to have as a guest on your show and to have a conversation uh, with representation absolutely. again really really important so i for i really do hope that we get to travel soon i mean i've been meaning to come to dubai for such a long time like want to come and hang out at Seoul DXB and buy yes, a lot of sneakers yes. and play songs for people. <laughs> you know, as a sneaker obsessive, I would love to go there and do all my favorite things. So hopefully soon, hopefully the borders can open and these things all start happening. And of course, I hope to play, uh, you know, we could go back to back one day and just play all these yeah, absolutely. records we found, you know, from Zanzibar and Beirut. Why not? Like, <laughs> take them on a very, very amazing worldwide journey for sure. I can't wait for the day. I, I really look forward to meeting you in person as well. Oh, we can, I look forward. We can, uh, Hit the tea and the shisha together. Oh, look, that's that's my dream date, James. Thank you. <laughs> Brilliant. That's my favorite kind of thing. Thank you so much. I really, really, again, I really appreciate it. And I can't thank you enough. And I can't thank you enough, of course, for the work that you're doing and spotlighting amazing artists and women like Alsara and Natasha as well. They're absolute legends. And, you know, your work is just as important as mine. You know, it's that <laughs> yeah, kind of... 
that thing. If we stop James, then, you know, people are going to be left listening to not great things. So we're thank giving so the much. world a service. So thank you so thank much. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you. I really thank you. That means a lot to me as well. Thank you. Take care. Absolutely. You too. Have a great time in Zanzibar. Right. Give Alsara a hug thank and uh, we'll chat soon for sure. All right. Take Have care. a good evening. Ciao. Thank you. Bye. Dom. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Don't forget to head to jameslocksmith.net to find all the episodes on demand waiting for you there. And I'd love to hear from you. Please review the show and send us any feedback. I'd love to hear from you. See you on the next episode. Bye for now. Bye.